From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest on this episode is Dory Clark, who teaches at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and is author of the bestsellers, Reinventing You and Stand Out. She is a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, and the New York Times described her as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. In this episode, we talk about how Dory helps leaders stand out and get their ideas heard, and how you can apply these concepts to your own life. We talk about the myth of the perfect idea, how it's really about iteration, not a perfect starting idea, how to become a thought leader in your organization or professional community using a very practical three-step framework, and overcoming the, the inhibitions and anxieties that might be keeping you from pursuing and advocating for your own ideas. And now, here's my conversation with Dory Clark. Dory, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Stu, thank you so much. It is a treat to talk with you. Uh, it's always, always my pleasure. So uh, l- let's just start uh, with... Um, how you got into this. So what inspired you to start using the skills and talents that you developed uh, in, in publicity and marketing and, and methods to, to help people, individuals, as opposed to companies, to market themselves? Well, in, in a lot of ways, it was actually, um, I guess you, you could say, uh, accident and iteration. I had been working as a, a marketing consultant. I started my business about 10 years ago. And originally, the focus was exclusively on working with corporations. Right. But I started uh, blogging, and the reason that I did that actually it was uh, it was not not because I wanted to start blogging, but what I really wanted to do it was sort of a childhood dream was write a book. And I ended up getting turned down basically everywhere because I, I didn't have enough of of what they called a platform. Mm-hmm. I.e., I was not famous enough. Mm-hmm. So. I needed to uh, to start blogging, and as I was blogging, I realized that a lot of, of the things that I was writing about and I felt compelled to write about were more about individuals and how they could adapt to the changing world of work. And so I, as I was writing, um, it, it turned out those were the messages that really resonated, and I ended up being able to write my first book, Reinventing You. Um, actually, that the original genesis was a blog post that I wrote in the Harvard Business Review, mm-hmm. and it got uh, expanded and turned into a book. So that was how I began really doing work and writing for individuals. Well, I guess uh, you were there kind of um, living out what it is that you um, advise other people to do. In, in a lot of ways, yes. I, I definitely draw from my own experiences and write about them a lot. In fact, with reinvention itself, the 
original reason that I wanted to write that post was um, I, I had a lot of career reinventions early on. I was a, a journalist who got laid off, and I switched to working in politics, and all of my candidates lost. <laughs> and so a lot of the things that I was trying out early on didn't work. And mm. I wanted to write about that experience of how I evolved and adapted into new areas because I feel like so many people these days have to reinvent themselves either voluntarily or involuntarily. Yeah. So, uh, well, before we progress, or maybe this is a good lead into to where I'd like to go with, with our conversation, that is, what were the big takeaways from those lessons of failure? Well, I think, I think that, that one is that um, when, it, when it comes to, to my, my personal failures, um, I, I think that there's, there's oftentimes a, a good reason that we fail. And in the moment, hmm. we, we just can't see it. But sometimes the system actually knows something that we don't. And the system, not, the world, there's something out there in terms of your fit for a particular role that's not right or something along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think I think sometimes people uh, tend to catastrophize and they think, oh, the thing that the world knows is that I suck or that I'm stupid. And that's hmm. not it. Did you um, were you listening to me in the shower this morning? Because that's <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> I did not say that. But go ahead, please. <laughs> that's right. So, for instance, you know, my very first uh, sort of big professional failure, or at least failed attempt, was I originally wanted, even before I got into journalism, I wanted to be uh, an academic. I actually wanted to be a literature professor. And I applied, uh, you know, I had gotten a master's degree. And all of the doctoral programs I applied to, every single one I got turned down from. And, you know, I I was an intelligent person. I had good grades. I thought I had done a reasonably good job. And yet, none of them wanted me. And what I, what I realized after I had enough time and distance was they were actually right. I probably would have been a bad fit because mm-hmm. I was a generalist. I was really interested in a lot of things. I was kind of a, a so-called renaissance person. Mm-hmm. And in, in academia, the thing that they want is a specialist. They want someone who's able to write a dissertation for five years about a minute point and I would have been so bored, I, I couldn't have stood it. And so it was actually a favor that they said no, although certainly I did not think of it that way at the time. <laughs> so how does that experience uh, help inform what it is that you write about uh, in your wonderful book, Stand Out, which starts with this sentence, you have something to say to the world. That's such a powerful idea, and it's one that, of course, others have said, but you, you take it into a very practical and very very useful direction. So w- what is it that you bring from your experience to what you're trying to get across and to help help your readers with and, and stand out? Yeah, thank you, Stu. I mean, what, what I really was trying to do in Stand Out is provide a kind of roadmap for people about how to get their best ideas heard. Because mm-hmm. the, the truth is, we live in a world now where the default mode is for the loudest voice to win, you know, for the person who's screaming the loudest to be the one that gets heard. And that's not the kind of world I want to live in. I think that's not the kind of world most people want to live in. We want, we want a world where the best ideas win. But too often, you get people who might have a really good idea to share, something to contribute, but they're not really sure how to get their voice heard or they say, oh, this is ridiculous, I'm, I'm not even going to try. Or maybe they doubt themselves and say, well, you know, it, yeah, it's an, an, an idea, but other people must have better ideas. And I wanted to cut through all that 
and show people very clearly, here is how some of today's most successful people in a variety of fields, you know, business, uh, genomics, technology, whatever it is, here are how they developed their ideas, and here is how they built their following. And it is not because they're a genius. It is not because they are 100 times smarter than you. They are a regular person, and they took these steps, and you can too, and it makes it far more likely that your best ideas will be heard and recognized as well. All right, so what, what's, what's the plan? How do you do it, Dory? <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to it, but, but one, uh, one important one that I'll mention is when it comes, if you, if you have an idea in mind and if you want to be building a following on it, something that I heard again and again as I was interviewing these, these 50 people um, and, and discovering patterns in it is that there's really a three-step process when it comes to building a following around your ideas. First, it is building a network. Second, it's building an audience. And third, it is building a community. And basically what I mean by that, and it's important to, to do all of these things sequentially, number one, building a network, you need to have a tight-knit group of people around you. I think that oftentimes we think, oh, spreading an idea, that just means you, know, you, put, you put something on the Internet and it'll take off or it won't. Well, what you need to do before that is develop a group of friends, you know, trusted advisors. This could be your kitchen cabinet, your personal board of directors, however you want to think about it. But you need to get a group of people you trust around you to, who can give you honest feedback. Hmm. That is going to be a very necessary ingredient mm -hmm. to refine your ideas to the place where they are ready for public consumption. Number two, building your audience is where you start to, to kind of raise your voice and speak to people that you don't already know. Um, so that's, you know, that's blogging or giving talks or doing podcasts or somehow finding a way to share your ideas more broadly so that people can discover your ideas. And then finally, once you do that, once you begin to get a little bit of traction, a little bit of a following, it becomes important for it to no longer just be about you. You need to get the people who are your audience, the people who are listening to you, to talk to each other and to talk to their friends, because that's how ideas catch on and become viral and become about something bigger than just you. So community is people talking to each other about ideas that you've helped to disseminate. Exactly. You've got to start with an idea, though, right? So yes, it's good to have a network of close advisors who are willing to tell you when you're you know, full of hokum and, or you've got something brilliant. Um, but it, it starts before that, doesn't it, in terms of discovering what your unique contribution is? And I know that there are many people out there who struggle with that. So do you have any advice for those who think, oh, I don't know what I have to add here, really? Yes, absolutely. I think that the first thing that's really important is I, I want to kind of bat down a myth that I think that we have that's too prevalent in our society. And that is that when, when people get started, they, they have this perfect vision in their heads, and then they just go execute it. That is actually an incredibly uncommon way for mm -hmm. the best ideas to spread. Um, it's always people, iterating, they, right? Yeah. When, when most people start out, they, they have no idea. <laughs> and, you know, again and again, I interviewed these experts, and it wasn't that they, ha you know, they were struck by lightning and had this perfect idea. Um, it was that they were interested in a topic. They were interested in an idea, but they didn't really know where to take it or what to do. But they started digging at it. They started working mm -hmm. on it. And it was through that process of immersing themselves in it that the idea came to them over time. 
So I think it's really important to recognize that just because you don't have an idea now doesn't mean that you are not capable of creating one or developing one. That is something that comes with, with time and practice and iteration. And persistence, so right, in pursuing things that, that capture your interest and your curiosity, that which is distinctly you. And that, that's really how your work, I think, connects so deeply with what we try to do on this show, which is to help people understand how to bring their whole selves to work, not just their family lives and how to take care of whoever they define as their family or their community, but their personal mind, body, and spirit. Your model helps people to see how what you've got inside that if you, you know if given expression uh can can make a real contribution and thereby help you to create value for society for your family and for your for your work life so the the key is to not ignore those things that have real interest to you and for many people that's the hardest thing of all to to pay attention to what's right right there Hi, this is Stu Friedman. I hope you're enjoying this conversation, and I'm just so glad you're listening. If you like the Work and Life podcast, I would personally appreciate your taking just a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you access this podcast, whatever your favorite platform is. We are relatively new as a podcast, uh, and our team is working really hard to bring you for free the best of the conversations that took place on my Sirius XM radio show, but were previously available only to paid subscribers. So every positive rating and review helps us to grow our capacity to move faster toward the goal of sharing useful information and insights about how to create harmony among the different parts of life with people who wouldn't otherwise have access so please do help us, and if you have ideas for what we can do to improve our impact, please write to me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and now, back to the show. One of the people that I profile in Standout is a young woman named Rose Schumann, and she develops her breakthrough idea really directly as a consequence of just her, her own unique background and mm -hmm. her own family experiences. Um, she grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and when she was 18, she took a family trip to Nicaragua because that was where her stepmother's family was from. Mm. And it was the end of the Contra War, and the country was in disarray. There was poverty everywhere. All of the, the institutions that she was used to seeing as part of this uh, cosseted suburban life in D.C., mm -hmm. just were not there. And she vowed that she was going to go into international development as a result of that. Hmm. And in fact, she did. And, uh, and now years later, she's developed a, a really innovative solution called the Question Box, which is a way to bring the Internet access to the world's poorest people um, they don't have to have computers. They don't even have to be literate. All it is is, uh, a, is a call box, you know, kind of like you'd find mm -hmm, it in a transit mm -hmm. station. They put it in poor villages. People push a button, and they're able to ask a question. And in a centralized location, they're connected over, um, over wireless phone lines to someone who is at a computer and will literally Google things for them and give them the answers about anything from crock 
crop prices to whatever they want to know. Hmm. And in fact, last year during the Ebola epidemic, Mm -hmm. the question box was a crucial tool in providing information to remote villagers in Liberia. So it it comes from a commitment that she made um, out of her own life and her own family situation. So the primary source of material for for uh, aspects of the world that interest you is your own your own history your own experience and 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 the key here in, in Rose Sherman's story and, and so much of what you write about is really having the courage to uh, to uh, tap into what you're really interested in despite what people around you might say as you know hey that's a bad idea or nobody's going to care about that or it's wrong it's uh it's you know out of step with the times or you could think of uh, tons of reasons why somebody might say bad idea your ideas aren't ready for the world so how do you uh help people in stand out to kind of overcome those inhibitions and, and anxieties well, I think I think actually that that one of the best ways to do it, and part of the reason that I uh, that I beat the drum about developing your own personal board of directors, uh-huh. is that in in some cases you might doubt yourself, but if you have a group of friends or advisors that you really trust, and you bring an idea to them, and they say, actually, you know, that's that's not a bad idea. You should really look into that. If you hear that from enough people that you independently respect, mm-hmm. that can actually break you out of your pattern sometimes and say, oh, well, I might be doubting myself, but if, if you know, him and him and her all say it's a good idea, maybe I should do it. And I, I think that, that having that sort of external validation from, from people whose opinions you trust can be very helpful. So that's really the key is to be able to... Um to, to really listen to the people around you. Make sure you surround yourself with people who are not just going to be critical of your ideas, but more importantly, to support the development of your ideas and to, to take them into the world uh, because they do have value. Um, so you need other people to do that, huh? It, it, it's really useful. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we do have some examples of, uh, of lone geniuses that are, that are out there doing things, but far more often uh, you have a, a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, these people can provide not just advice, but also sometimes crucial uh, connections or resources that can enable you to, uh, to really begin to, uh, to, to get your ideas out there. And they don't have to be in person either. I mean, you know, the great thing about the world we're living in now it could be an online community. It could be, uh, you know, a, a mastermind group from around the world. It could be, uh, you know, some kind of a, a listserv that you participate in. But you want to surround yourself with like-minded people that you respect. The key is, you know, clearly they shouldn't be naysayers that shoot everything down. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want yes-men. You, you want people yep. who are judicious enough so that when they say it's good, you know it's good, and when they say it's bad, you're willing to listen. All right, so you have to demonstrate that you're really interested in hearing what they have to say. Uh, so this notion of building a board of directors and taking in feedback from people around you, uh, it's, it's for many people easier said than done because you have to have enough confidence to be able to put your ideas out, even with the people who are close to you. And sometimes indeed family members and those closest to you are the ones who are the most critical. So where do you get that, uh, that impetus, uh, for, you know, for those listeners out there who were, who were perhaps shy and fearful of putting an idea out there, even for people around them who, with whom they're close, 
what, what advice do you have for them? Well, I think that, that one of the keys is that you want to be developing relationships over time. So at this, at this moment, you may not necessarily have your, your idea. Um, even if you do, you may not want to immediately share it with people. You know, these, are, mm-hmm. these are things that, uh, that you need to develop trust over time with. Um, ideally, what you want to do is play the long game. And think about, you know, literally just make a list. Who are the people you respect most? Ah. You respect their judgment. You mm-hmm. respect their perspective. Mm-hmm. And then ask yourself, how can you arrange to spend more time with them? Yep. Maybe it's as simple as inviting a colleague out for, for uh, coffee once a week or uh, just, you know, really making an effort to have lunch with that college friend. Um, but if you're able to, to do that, you need, we, we all so often are reactive. You know, we get together with the person who emailed us and, and asked us out for, you know, for lunch or drinks or, or what have you. We need to get more proactive. Our time is the most valuable thing we have. We need to be saying, okay, who do I want to spend time with and then make that happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to take initiative to think about, well, who is it that matters to me in terms of getting my ideas out there or someone who might be able to provide a critical point of view or another perspective that will enrich my thinking and, and to, to generate those connections uh, but even that requires uh, some bit of courage because the person that you reach out to might say, eh, sorry, Dory, not, don't have really enough time for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we live in a busy enough era that, that that's entirely possible, um, part, which is part of why um, I think it's important, uh, you know, to, to have the framework of a, of a board of directors. I don't necessarily mean that literally, you, you know, you have to formalize things and make them sign something. I With mean, a president and a secretary and all that. <laughs> That's right. I mean, really, I just think of it as, as, you know, who are your group of advisors? If, you know, let's say there's half a dozen people that you really trust and respect, uh, you know, there are going to be things happening. This one's having a baby. That one uh, just sure. started a new job. Mm-hmm. They're busy, but there's, there's cycles in relationships. And even if they're there for you in general, they might be tied up in the moment, which mm-hmm. is why you shouldn't pin all your hopes on that one person. If you have, you know, six or eight people in your life that you, uh, that you trust and can turn to, then at any given moment, it's far more likely that there are going to be people mm-hmm. that can give you advice and, and feedback and, and help you get better, help you uh, raise your A-game. Well, so you really have to make an investment, uh, and it's part of your uh, strategy, anyone's strategy for growth is... Uh, you know, we think about financial capital, we think about human capital, that which you know, your experiences, but then, of course, there's social capital. And this is one of the things that, that I teach about in the Total Leadership course and, and write about and have people, my students and others, think about who is in your network uh, that you can uh, uh, you know, reach out to and support in some way to induce reciprocity over the long haul and have them be somewhat, you know, see you as somebody who is helpful, and so they're going to want to help you in turn. So it's not just about, um, it's not just about, you know, asking other people for help and, and response to their, to your ideas. It's really giving them something. And indeed, that is the second sentence in your book. You have a contribution to make. And isn't that the key word, Dory? Contribution? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something that holds people back sometimes from, you know, raising their hand and stepping forward and sharing their ideas is a 
sort of deeply ingrained feeling that, you know, oh my gosh, why should people listen to me? Or, um, you know, what if people think that I'm just being too self-promotional by, by trying to get more attention on me? But the, the truth is, if what you are about is an idea, then that, that is a really powerful force. It, it's not about you. It's not about self-aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. It's about if do you have an idea that you care about enough that you are willing to put yourself forward to be its messenger to mm-hmm. help it? Because ideas don't just magically <laughs> happen. Somebody has to be advocating for them, whether it is, um, you know, the idea about, you know, more people should be, should be giving money to homelessness or an idea about, hey, there's a better way to do this process at, at our company or, you know, whatever, um, you know, whatever the idea is. Um, but if, if that's your focus rather than, you know, just personal glory, that's going to come through and it's going to make your uh, it's going to make your campaign a worthy one. So it can't ever really be just about you. It's it's more about what you stand for and how what you're pursuing is going to be somehow valuable to other people. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the terms that I talk about in Standout is thought leader, which is uh, you know sort of a, sort of a contested term in in some ways these days. But, you know, if you are to be a, a thought leader in your company, in your field, in your industry, if you're going to be, you know, recognized as an expert, fundamentally what that says to me, the reason I actually like the term, is that you are known for your thoughts, meaning you are known for your ideas, not just shallow celebrity. You're known for your substance. And as a leader, inherently you have to have followers. So this is not just pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is you engaging in the real world with real people about things that matter. I think that if more people were willing to step up and engage others around ideas that matter, we would have a better world. I could not agree with you more. Uh, Dory, we're we're nearing the end of our time here. Let me ask you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? That's a a wonderful question. I think that the best piece of advice that that I've ever gotten is, uh, is actually... (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go for the for the the prosaic, but it actually is uh, is kind of powerful, especially for your for your audience, perhaps. But um, early on, uh, I got advice that that you shouldn't have an office if you were a solo consultant. And the reason that that actually matters to me, I mean, yes, I saved money by working from home, but the reason that that was so powerful is that uh, you talk, Stu, in your books about four-way wins and, you know, how do you make things work in multiple facets of your life. Mm-hmm. And being able to work from home gave me a couple hours a day back because I wasn't commuting. They were That was time that I could spend working out. It was time that I could spend uh, developing my family life. While I was at home, I was able to be with my cat, which was enormously satisfying. I and totally so- understand that. Yeah, so so it was actually really powerful me for me. It seems like a, a really simple thing, but um, but sometimes the simplest things can have a tremendous impact on your quality of life. That is so true. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dory Clark, and I want to now invite you, challenge you, to pick up on some of her wisdom and consider experimenting with taking a small step toward creating your own board of directors. Why not? 
All right, if you're interested, here's, here's what I'm suggesting you do. First, who are the people who you respect the most and with whom you want to be spending more time? Write those names down. And it's best if these people come from different parts of your, of your life, not just work, but your home and, and community as well. So just start with that. And then as a first action beyond simply identifying these people who you might want on your personal board of directors, over the next week or so, try to do some small thing that might be helpful in a manageable way to some or even all of these people. Just try that and see what happens. What you might find as a result of this experiment is that it leads you to your being more confident in reaching out to strengthen relationships that matter to you. So you're not asking for anything here. You're simply trying to figure out ways of providing something that is of value to other people that you can manage, that doesn't cost you too much in terms of your time or resources or energy. So try that and let me know what happens, what you discover as you uh, experiment with building strength in relationships with people who might be your personal board of directors. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, as to what you do indeed discover from this experiment. You can email me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. I'd be very interested in your thoughts, your comments, questions. And if you do get in touch and if it's okay with you, I'll share what you have to say to me with listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.